The following is my interview with Vladko Vedral, a professor of quantum information science at Oxford University. We discuss the difference between dynamical laws and principles in physics, the role that the principles of constructor theory play in discovering new dynamical laws, the constructor theory of information, his research, in collaboration with Chiara Marletto, into probing hybrid systems in which quantum mechanical objects interact with gravity, and more. I hope you enjoy. All right, I'm here with Flatko Vedral. Flatko, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. So one of the great outstanding problems in physics is that quantum mechanics and general relativity have not yet been reconciled. Before we get into the experimental work that you've been developing, what are some of the candidate theories that aim to unify quantum mechanics and general relativity, and why are they so challenging to probe experimentally? Uh, yes, there are basically, um, in a way, three uh, main directions to unify quantum mechanics and general relativity. Um, you can think of uh, people who just approach it in a standard way, we need to quantize gravity. So basically we are taking quantum mechanics as it is and simply applying it as we apply it to other forces like um, electromagnetism. So we say the same way we quantize the electromagnetism, we can really quantize gravity as well. And this would be some kind of quantum field theory approach to gravity. Um, so even within the, this direction, you will probably find a number of different approaches how to do this. So that would be one direction. So impose quantum mechanics on gravity. The other one we, would maybe be to go the other way, to say, can we make uh, quantum mechanics a bit more geometrical? So this would be geometrization of quantum mechanics. Make, phrase quantum mechanics in a way that resembles as closely as possible gravity which is all about geometry and curvature of geometry and so on, and then try to unify the two. So that, that those will be people who believe that somehow quantum will have to conform to gravity rather than the other way around. And then there is a third road which says, well, probably the new theory will be something that goes beyond both of these theories. And you know, something that, that you frequently read about string theory is, is possibly this approach which says, well, I think we can, we can construct a theory which is above both quantum and general relativity. And both quantum and general relativity are just special limits of this new theory. If you take one limit, you will get quantum mechanics. If you take another limit, you will get um, gravity and somehow string theory claims to unify both of them. So I, th I think these will be three very, very broad approaches. And you know, within them, you have many little roads, basically. And what makes these candidate classes of theories so difficult to test experimentally? Extremely difficult because I think they all um, uh, should, uh, if they are genuine quantum gravity theories, they should uh, really all agree at the lowest level of approximation. So if you take the approximation where uh, the gravitational fields are very weak, um, so you know, if, you, if you're thinking about Earth's gravitational field instead of being very close to a, to a massive black hole, so if you think about a weak, almost what people call Newtonian limit of gravity, very weak gravity, 
then basically all of these three approaches that I outlined should in fact agree with one another. Uh, but even, even this low level of approximation is extremely challenging for our experiments. So even this first step where they would agree, I think it's hardly accessible to us experimentally. And, and, and the key issue is really uh, maintaining a superposition, a quantum superposition of an object that's large enough to be affected gravitationally as well. So you really want to be in a regime where both of these matter, both quantum mechanics and general relativity, and it's very hard. And on top of it, like I said, it's quite depressing, it seems to me, that, that all of these three approaches would even agree at that level. So probably to discriminate them, we need to go one level up, which is even harder, I think. So constructor theory offers a radical new way to experimentally rule out some of these candidate post-quantum post-relativity yes. theories. Now, before we get into your work on this, let's set the stage a little bit. Yes. What's the difference between dynamical laws of physics, like the laws of general relativity and quantum mechanics, and the principles of constructor theory? Yes, this is a very, very interesting question, actually, that, uh, that I find uh, fascinating, because um, <clears throat> dynamical laws uh, is, is the way we usually phrase, as you said, all of physics, in fact, not, not even just GR and quantum mechanics. But of course, these are the two uh, most fundamental theories, if you like, and everything else follows. So the way we phrase this is that we give the initial state of the system, whatever this is, um, and, and, and then we use the dynamical equations of motion to calculate the future states of your system. And then you simply derive your experimental pr predictions from this future state, and then you test that against, against your experiments. And I think most of physics can be basically summarized uh, in, in this way. And you know, this, this approach goes back to, to certainly Galileo and Newton, <clears throat> who had this vision that you should be able to describe regularities in nature in this precise way. Now, principles is something probably that people like Einstein uh, emphasized a lot. You know, Einstein said, well, look, in addition, in addition to, to dynamical laws, what we do have is, is, is symmetries in nature. So it's clear that, you know, for instance, if I look at the universe from a, from a different perspective, if I rotate myself um, and, and look at a different portion of the sky, then we pretty much notice uh, similarities between the previous view. And so this is something that we call rotational symmetry, that the universe should be more or less the same in its global features wherever we look. Um, and Einstein, of course, discovered uh, first the theory of special relativity, which is yet another symmetry. It says, you know, if someone is moving at a certain speed with respect to you, all the laws of physics should be identical. And this is not a dynamical law. You know, it's not something where you can say, oh, how do I compute with this now? You know, what's the initial state and so on. This just says whatever you are doing in your physics has to be symmetric with respect to all, uh, all of the observers that are involved. Um, yet another principle, by the way, which also follows from symmetries is really conservation laws, right? Conservation of energy, conservation of momentum and so on. Um, and, and so now the question is, what exactly is the relationship between these two. And I think at the moment, the way we do physics at, at present is really to impose these, um, these um, uh, principles on top of our dynamics. So, you know, you come up with some kind of dynamical law and then you say, oh, but does this obey energy conservation? 
and then you realize, oh, it doesn't, you know, okay, maybe I have to tweak it a bit to include energy conservation. I'm caricaturing a bit, but, but that's roughly how, how it works. But, but the fascinating idea, I think, here, um, and that's something that, that David Deutsch, um, I think, uh, proposed um, a while back, and then um, Chiara Maletto uh, took very seriously and developed uh, much further. The idea is, could everything really follow as it were, from a basic set of principles. Do we really need this kind of halfway house where you talk a little bit about dynamics, a little bit about principles, and then somehow you try to fit them together? Could it be really that, that everything follows from basic principles? You know, if only we had access, if only we understood what the fundamental principles are, the rest of physics would follow. And I think this is a fascinating idea. Right. So given this difference between principles and dynamical laws with the former being kind of higher level and dynamical yes. laws being closer to the physical systems that you're yes. looking at or studying, how could these principles help us to uncover new dynamical laws like any that might supersede those of general relativity or quantum mechanics? It's a, it's a, it's a great question, actually. And that's exactly where these um, principles come in because they are, they are, um, they're really, they act as constraints on what you can do. So let, let me give you a very, let me give you a very simple example of this. You, you might be thinking uh, that the basic equation in quantum mechanics, the Schrodinger equation is let's say to be modified. Uh, and your motivation could be anything. You could be thinking, well, you know, things cannot be superposed beyond certain limits. So let me include that into the Schrodinger equation because Schrodinger equation would suggest to us that anything can be superposed in principle. It's just a question of money, you know, it's a question of technology, whether we're able to do that. But some people believe maybe there is a limit to that. And now you may say, let me tweak the Schrodinger equation a little bit and add some extra terms to it. And when you do that, uh, now you're in a good position to apply various principles to this and say, wait a second, this new theory that I'm proposing and various collapse theories, I'm saying this because various collapse theories that are motivated by gravity come into play here. If you do that, you're gonna, um, does this theory now obey things like energy conservation? W would that still be true in a new theory? And actually, whenever you tweak quantum mechanics in, in some way like this, you will realize that it seems to violate one of these principles that we think are very, are very fundamental. So energy conservation is certainly there. Another one that's been very important for Chiara and myself in our work is, is the principle of locality, of course. Um, and this, uh, this clearly underpins uh, quantum mechanics. All of our quantum field theories are local in this sense, which simply says you know, that, that um, the point at which you act um, in any way you, you, you care to choose to act is the only point really in space that should be affected. And you should not be able to affect things at a distance. Uh, and if you change your um, uh, dynamical laws sometimes, you will realize that actually you might be violating this principle of locality. So, so we have a set of these principles that we think are fundamental. As you say, maybe more fundamental even than the dynamical laws. And so anything we, we build on top should really conform to these basic principles. Um, now, uh, you know, do we have enough principles to, um, to, to really nail down a single theory 
that's really the maybe the, the the most exciting open questions because I think the principles we are working with um, are still satisfied by by many different theories that we can think of. So in your research into studying how systems in which there are quantum mechanical features and gravity, how these systems must behave, what other constructor theoretic principles have you been applying and how have they been fruitful to your research? I think the, 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 mo the most beautiful somehow um, avenue there is really to use um, uh, principles of, of information theory. And that's really proved to be very fruitful there because what you are really saying and, and you're trying to kind of distill the essence of classical and quantum uh, physics in some sense. And because gravity is still fully classical, you are thinking what kind of laws of information theory um, would follow from this kind of behavior. Uh, and quantum mechanics, of course, leads to a completely different um, a type of information processing. And you know, our uh, new technologies, quantum information technologies and quantum computation basically are all built on, on these kind of ideas. So the question here, you can, you can phrase it in a very simple way. If I have, um, if I have um, a system that obeys one set of information theoretic principles, and I couple it to another system that obeys a different set of information theoretic principles, what happens to the joint system? So this is something that we call hybrid systems. Um, and it's distilled exactly from this question. If I have a quantum system, let's say in a superposition and I have gravity, and I put them together, what happens? And what Chiara and I realized is that we can ask this question at a much, much higher level. We can really say, if you have a system that's capable of certain kind of information processing and another system with different laws of information processing, what really happens when you put these two systems together? And actually, um, with, with very few assumptions, you will realize frequently that you get into a contradiction with these basic principles and you will conclude that you cannot have these kind of hybrid systems. Either both systems must conform to, so to speak, to the quantum type of information processing or to the classical, but if they are hybrid, they are gonna lead to some kind of contradiction, which is very interesting. Either, you know, violation of energy conservation of, or the locality principle or things like that. So I wonder if you could give a few examples of constructor theoretic principles that you've been applying that aren't sort of already known, such as the principle of conservation of energy. What I mean is, what are the constructor theoretic principles of information that prior to constructor theory would not have been obvious and yes. that you've been using in your research? I think, I think the, the most important thing is really this issue of copyability. Uh, and, and why is this important to a physicist? Because every, every measurement um, uh, can be thought of, you know, every measurement, of course, is a kind of an interaction between one physical system that you call an apparatus, a measurement apparatus, and another system that you are investigating. So you can always elevate this to this higher level where, where it's really two physical systems interacting with one another. But if you look at what a measurement should constitute, then it really is copying of a certain kind of information from the system onto the states of the apparatus. So the minimum requirement there to be able to make a measurement is really this kind of copyability. Uh, can I, for every state of my system, can I create 
uh, a distinguishable state inside the apparatus that mirrors the state of the system. And this is something, you know, in the, in the jargon of, of uh, computer science, this would be like a controlled knot operation. So I want to be able to perform a controlled knot gate between the system and the apparatus, which actually takes the state of the system and copies it into the apparatus. And now what's interesting in quantum mechanics, and this is something that, that David uh, Deutsch and Chiara Maletta would call a super information medium, is that actually quantum mechanics gives you more uh, in the sense that you are not just copying one type of property, but you can copy many, many, in fact, continuously, infinitely many, if you like, types of properties, uh, which, which confusingly enough, if you don't think about it, you will, you will get actually confused about it, seems to lead to the violation of this copyability. So there is no universal copyability in quantum mechanics, which is exactly what underpins the measurement problem. Uh, for us. So namely, what this means is that you can have different states of quantum systems that cannot be distinguished with perfect 100% efficiency. So you can copy one set of states, you can copy another set of states, but when you put them together, they give you something more than copyability. They are not subject to this kind of classical logic of measurement. And I think this was the key the key property for us, because what we end up uh, taking ultimately is a classical system which can be copied. We take another system which, which you can think of as a quantum system, but it's even more general than that, if you like, which cannot be copied. And then we put them together through some kind of interaction and we ask what, what happens now. And, and I think this was the key principle in, in all our work so far. I wonder if you could provide uh, further detail about the experimental setup that you and Kiara have been working on and what are the predictions of the outcomes given the constructor theoretic principles that you've been applying to these systems of gravity and quantum mechanical systems interacting? Yes, and I think, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's nice to continue actually in this spirit of information theory because I think certain things become become very simple and transparent if you think about it in this way. So what Chiara and I really thought is we thought let's, let's have two uh, quantum systems, if you like. Or if you like to think of it in terms of uh, constructor theory, you, they, they need to be quantum-like. They are actually don't even need to be strictly fully quantum. They only need to have some quantum properties. And, and the key one here is this non-copyability. So you have to have two sets of properties in each of these systems that individually can be copied, but when you put them together, they cannot be copied. Uh, um, it's enough to have two of these. You don't, you don't have to apply that to all properties of your system. So they are kind of not even fully quantum, if you see what I mean. You take a little bit of quantumness and that's enough for this experiment. So now the question is, you take these two systems uh, which have this uh, non-copyability property. And you realize that at the end of it, uh, your experiment, they can actually become fully quantum entangled. So that means you can, you can actually do, uh, make measurements on each of these systems and show that their correlations are the same as, as the ones we observe in Bell's inequalities in quantum mechanics. So they are maximally correlated. It's something that classical physics, if you like, cannot achieve. And, and then what Chiara and I have been thinking is, 
what kind of medium between these two systems, what kind of properties that does the medium uh, need to have in order to be able to mediate this kind of entanglement between these two quantum-like systems. So if these two systems can, at the end of your experiment, become entangled, the channel between them, what kind of properties does this channel need to have? And the, and the beauty, so this channel could be anything. And of course, the most exciting, as you, as you have been asking as well, um, here is, is gravity. What happens if this channel really is the gravitational field between the, these two systems? And the interesting thing is that if, if all the states of this system in between are perfectly copyable, which means if it's really classical-like, um, then you will never be able to entangle these two quantum systems at the end of your experiment. So this is, this is a very nice result because it allows you to rule out all sorts of hybrid-like uh, theories, which say it's okay to have um, some systems in your universe being quantum, if you like, and it's perfectly okay for the rest of these systems to be classical. What we are saying is that, is that if these other systems are used to um, mediate the interaction between quantum systems, then actually they need to be quantum themselves, at least to the same degree as, as the quantum systems that you're testing. And this is very interesting because the whole, the whole idea really is lifted to, to this set of information theoretic principles and you don't need the full machinery of quantum physics or classical physics, Hamiltonian dynamics, all of that is unnecessary for this logic. So constructor theory has allowed you to predict that if quantum systems become entangled through any medium, including gravity, then that medium must be non-classical. That's it. It must be non-classical and you can say non-classical to exactly the same degree as the entanglement that you created. Okay, so that's a nice prediction from constructor theory. I think we should, by the way, let's define what exactly you mean by classical. Good question here, because um, again, if you, if you, um, people, people really disagree on these, on these notions. It's very, it's very, it's, it's very unclear in many ways. Certainly, if you, if you take the strictest definition, then you would be talking about Newtonian mechanics. You know, that's, that's kind of the first proper physic, physics, uh, physical theory. Um, and, and you can talk about it as, as certainly underpinning. So now, you know, you distill the logic from that and you can say, well, the same logic underpins also um, electrodynamics, if you like. So Maxwell's theory is, is all classical as well. And then any other field theory that follows from that, certainly general relativity, you could think of also as classical because in a way it obeys the same logical principles. But what you have to be careful about is that the fundamental entities in these theories are not necessarily the same, even though we call them all classical. So what I want to say is that for Newton, um, everything is really made up of particles. You're talking about particles, their locations, their speeds. And once you have that information, you use Newton's laws of motion to calculate all the future states. Uh, with Maxwell, it's different because Maxwell would say, in my theory, the fundamental entities are waves. So you see, even though we would still call Maxwell's theory classical, already certain notions like superposition of waves are possible in these wave theories. 
Um, so, and, and that almost starts to sound quantum mechanical, but we wouldn't call it quantum. And the reason why we wouldn't call it quantum is because of this copyability, that actually all states of Maxwell's fields can in principle be fully copied, unlike quantum states in general. So, so I would say the most general definition of classicality is really any theory that's not quantum, if you see what I mean. So that includes all the wave theories of classical physics, all the particle theories of classical physics, and they are classical simply because every state that you give me can in fact, in principle, be copied. It can be cloned. Uh, and now, you know, quantum theory violates this immediately. Uh, and, and then you can also ask, so what is quantum? And I would say anything that has this kind of property that you can build on, you could consider quantum-like in some sense. So if the outcome of the experiment that you and Kiara have been working on, if it shows that in fact, the quantum systems have become entangled via gravity, then that means that gravity must have quantum properties or any post-gravity, post-quantum theory must be such that gravity has, let's say, non-copyable states. Is that right? Yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. That, that means that gravity must have non-copyable states. Um, and, and of course, the only, the only really theory that we know currently with this property is quantum mechanics. So, you know, you, you would immediately be thinking it's got to be quantum at least to some degree. Um, and, 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 and I think th this is very interesting because like I said, copyability comes in, you know, that you cannot copy uh, all of the states of your system. And the only other assumption, and, and we discussed it already, is locality. And, and actually with gravity, we know already the classical gravity um, should be local. Certainly general relativity is a local theory. Um, so that means, you know, when, when the quantum system couples to gravity in one position, then that's the only place where things can change. And then this change can gradually travel, but it cannot travel faster than the speed of light to other locations. So somehow copyability and locality give you everything you need really to, to conclude uh, that gravity must be quantum as well in this case. So let's say your experiment is successful in showing that in fact, gravity must be non-classical in some way. And we talked about this a little bit at the very beginning, but which of the candidates for post-quantum, post-general relativity theories would immediately be ruled out? Yes, I think, I think immediately um, any, any, any theory that suggests that, that you would get some kind of a collapse of quantum superpositions would be ruled out because, because of course, unless your theory predicts that the collapse takes a very, very long time. So if, if the time that it takes to collapse is longer than the experiment which you perform, then these theories could still survive. But of course, they could be unrealistic for, for many other reasons, these kind of theories. So anything that says um, gravity will actually uh, remain classical uh, and it will even force quantum superpositions to ultimately become classical. This certainly cannot, cannot explain uh, entanglement between two quantum systems. So there are various theories there. There are various, I already mentioned corrections to, uh, to the Schrodinger equation that are meant to induce collapse due to gravitational interaction. There are theories that go under the name of 
quantum field theory in curved space-time. So what these theories do is they take quantum field theory, uh, but instead of applying it uh, to all the degrees of freedom of gravity, they're thinking of gravity being the background, classical background to these fields. So they, they, they are what I would call semi-classical theories in the sense that matter is quantum, but gravity is still treated in a classical way. These theories are automatically ruled out as well if you get entanglement in these experiments. So many of these alternative approaches, I think, would be invalidated in this case. That would be very productive unto itself. I think so. I think you are right, because as you know, science is all about ruling things out, really. Yes. Yeah. So what about things like string theory and or uh, loop quantum gravity? Because these are, these are very popular, I think, in the collective consciousness. Yes. I think, I think both at this, at this very low level, Newtonian level uh, of approximation uh, should agree with, with our predictions. Uh, because what, what we really, all we need, all we need to make this prediction is literally, uh, we don't really need general relativity. We really just need general relativity in the limit of, of very, very weak gravitational field. And I think string, both string theory and loop quantum gravity, and in fact, any, uh, what people would call canonical approach, to, canonical just meaning let's quantize it the way we quantized other things, um, uh, all, of these, uh, all of these approaches should actually uh, survive this experiment. Uh, but, the, but like I said, the, the bad news there, there's always a bad news in, in, in science. The bad news is that you wouldn't be able to discriminate between them. That's, that, that's what I think. Now, let's say your experiment is unsuccessful in showing entanglement between yes. quantum systems via gravity. Would you then say that there's something wrong with constructive theory or maybe just the constructive theory of information or in what sense would you regard the outcome as problematic for constructive theory? Uh, yes, it's uh, actually okay. There should be like a like a small uh, warning there be before before um, we go in that in, in that direction because of course we should assume that it failed um, not not uh, it failed not because we couldn't really control these massive superposition not because there are some other noises and effects but I think you are asking if it really fails uh, and yet we are confident that nothing else was present there. Uh, because I think my experimental colleagues are really all worried about the difficulty of the experiment. You know, they're saying you are, you are asking us to, um, to, to superpose an object that's comparable in weight to a biological cell. It's a few, other, few orders of magnitude lighter than a biological cell. So it's really large for, for, for atomic physics. It's many, many orders of magnitude uh, larger than, than, than an atom, a simple atom. Um, in, that case, in that sense, it's technologically extremely difficult because there are all sorts of other interactions that you have to control and so on. But let's imagine all of this is, all of this is under control. We do the experiment and there is no entanglement. I think this, this really would suggest to me that, that there is something that we radically do not understand about quantum mechanics. You are, you are right that this would, this would force us to revise um, all of our basic assumptions. And the question, I think, in a, in a way, I'm almost now, as we speak, even more excited about this possibility, 
because to us this would signal some really deep fundamental failure of something very big. So, uh, and, and I would say that most people in fact um, would probably bet now that the experiment would be successful and there would be entanglement, which is why I'm saying uh, that, that the other alternative would, would actually be much more surprising. And I think then you would start to question certainly what you mentioned, things like locality. You know, is the world really local? Could it be that there is something non-local in these kind of interactions? Could it be that this copyability or non-copyability property cannot apply to this situation? And I think this will be fascinating. And we wouldn't know, I would say, where to begin with this, you know? It, it, it would be a very worrying state of affairs. A bit like, you know, before, before relativity and quantum physics, when people couldn't explain uh, Michelson-Morley experiment, black body, all of that stuff, and everyone was desperate to, to, to see which postulates should now be abundant, actually. What can we preserve and what should we give up? And it's not clear at all. Yeah, yeah, that would certainly be exciting if your experiment failed. I think I so. guess e either way, either way, it's very cool. Yes, I think so. So you had mentioned that you're collaborating with experimentalists. Um, what do they tell you or what do you know are the greatest impediments that need to be overcome in order to realize your experiment in practice? Yes, I think the greatest really impediment is, is the fact that um, uh, you really want to make sure that it's only the gravitational interaction that entangles the two systems. Um, and even if you, so of course the other, the, the, the strong force there, if you like, uh, the strongest in, in, in that domain that's relevant is, is, um, is electromagnetism. So what you really want is you want your two systems to be neutral. You don't want them to couple electrically or magnetically in any way. Uh, and I think that's possible to find, but the problem is, as you will find, and of course, uh, this underpins uh, uh, the stability of all solid state objects around us. So in a way, it's a good thing for our universe uh, and for ourselves, but it's a bad thing for this experiment. The problem is that as soon as two neutral objects get close enough, they will induce electro magnetic interaction. This is, this is known under various names, Van der Waals force, for instance. Uh, and in fact, what leads to a bonding that, that when you scale it up gives you a typical solid, now for us would be a problem because in our experiment, we want the two masses to be close because gravity is a very weak force. And so we want them to be so close that gravity becomes strong enough, but we don't want them to be too close for electromagnetic interactions to turn on. And I think finding this sweet spot where gravity is strong enough, but electromagnetism is not too strong is the most uh, important challenge here. Um, and I think people give you various estimates. I've, I've heard something like 100 um, microns. So between a, a micron, a, a millionth of a meter and maybe 10 or 100 times um, um, bigger than that, people say this is roughly your regime where, where, you can, where gravity could still dominate um, electromagnetic interactions. Because you see, if you end up getting entanglement, uh, but you can't tell whether it's, it's electric forces that generated this or gravitational, then you have a, a, a big problem there. You didn't really prove much. 
Um, and and of course, you know, I mean, humans and and are, are very um, used to these kind of problems in in especially in science and engineering. So it's not impossible that that people even engineer some kind of shield that you can put between these two objects, some kind of Faraday's cage, which would which would prevent electromagnetic interactions and still allow gravity and so on. So there are various ideas out there how to overcome this difficulty. But I think this is the main difficulty. Now, this approach that you take, whereby you take one system that obeys quantum mechanical dynamical laws, one system that obeys the dynamical laws of general relativity, namely gravity, you put them together, you take the principles of constructor theory seriously to predict how the combined system will behave, and that leads you to a particular experimental setup in order to test that prediction. Despite the difficulties that you just outlined, is, it still, is that still easier than directly testing, let's say, string theory or these other post-quantum, post-relativity theories that are out there? Uh, I think so. I think it's much, uh, much easier to test it like this because um, the idea, I mean, the, the, you know, the dream case scenario for an experimentalist is really just to derive one parameter. You know, you want your experiment to simply depend on a single parameter and, and you want to give um, the regime the values of this parameter above or below which your theory succeeds or fails. So ideally for an experimentalist, they want to say, tell me exactly what to measure. And if the number is bigger than one, then basically you falsify something. And that's the strength of constructor theory because you rely on very, very few assumptions rather than having to, 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 to control many different things and bring in many assumptions. Here you are really talking about just a single number which is the strength of the correlation between these two. And, and, and that's why I think this approach is very powerful. You don't need the rest of the machinery at all. You know, if you go into the details of string theory or loop quantum gravity, there are many, many additional assumptions. And of course you can test them separately in principle, but I think they're very, very hard to do in practice. And at the risk of, uh, predicting the growth of knowledge, as it were. Do you have an idea of what a timeline looks like for this experiment? Yes, I think I, I, I'm very optimistic about, about this experiment. I would say that, that uh, we will see something very uh, important already within the next five years. So it seems to me, if you really project the current rate at which people are controlling more and more macroscopic systems quantum mechanically, um, and this goes together with the uh, technological industrial development of quantum computers that themselves are getting uh, more and more macroscopic. Uh, it seems to me that, that if it continues at this rate, if nothing major really prevents it, I think within five years we will have an answer. And, and this really sounds exciting to me because as we said, the answer could be surprising and we might have to think very hard beyond that, what to do next. Yeah, it sounds like either way the experiment goes will be extremely exciting. Uh, you know, if, so. the, if the experiment is successful in showing entanglement between quantum systems, you get to rule out whole classes of yes. candidate um, post-quantum, post-relativity theories. And if it fails, yes. then physicists have to completely reconsider what's going on in the world. I think so. <laughs> so what are you working on now regarding constructor theory and maybe uh, experimentally testing it or more on the theory side? Are you working on anything in that domain? 
Yes, I think what's what's uh, what's exciting to uh, to me at the at the moment is really um, to apply uh, this logic to um, just to field theory in general, to quantum field theory in general. Uh, for instance, we have this principle of locality that I mentioned. That's very that's very interesting. Um, and and the question is really wh what does it mean? What is it telling us about nature? How should one really even encode mathematically this principle of of locality? Um, and I think if you look at if you look at um, quantum field theory, you've got two types. First of all, th there is this mystery about uh, the fact that we have two types of fundamental particles, bosonic and fermionic. You know, why does nature give us this? Uh, th that's really by no means clear. And it would be nice if there was a deeper principle that really tells us about this. Certainly locality, uh, in all of the proofs that, that we have locality features extremely strongly in all of them. So there could be something that we learn by, by pushing that direction. Fermionic particles in some sense uh, look more non-local uh, at least mathematically speaking, and yet we know that they are fully local according to all our experiments so far. So to me, it seems that this is an interesting direction also to push both theoretically and to, to try to come up with some experiments that would test some of these basic uh, ideas. So I think what's exciting to me is that by reapplying some of these principles, it seems that we can revisit some very, very fundamental notions and actually, we can even test them with current technologies. So you can see this beautiful theory and experiment at work very close to each other uh, in the lab, um, and, and it's within our reach now. Yeah, that reminds me of something that I think is interesting, which is that I think in the sort of traditional conception of how physics works, how physics works, people think that the deeper a theory goes, the more difficult it is to test experimentally as we've kind of touched on. But with constructive theory, because you're appealing to principles rather than just talking about things in terms of smaller particles and so forth, it's not necessarily more difficult to test new ideas. Yes, I agree with you that I think, I, I think um, somehow this really is to do with our uh, creativity and ingenuity. But I think even at, at the at, at this level of technology, there are many things that, that we are not necessarily aware of, we're not thinking about. And that's precisely as you say, because we follow a certain approach rather than a certain other approach. So how we think about science and physics in particular is very important. What kind of interpretations we have, because that lead, you know, they lead us to ask different questions actually. And I think what you're saying is very true that even at this level of difficulty, um, there are many fundamental issues to investigate. Yes, well, it's all, it's all very exciting. So Vlatko, thank you very much for your time. It's been fun. Thanks a lot. It's, I, I've enjoyed it very much myself. Okay, great. Bye. Bye.